0: Asia Tech Podcast, voice of the Asian tech ecosystem. We are live in the Asia Tech Podcast studio. This is Pitch Tech Asia. My name is Graham Brown, sitting opposite Han Fei, founder at Luminaire, research scholar at NTU. We're going to talk about AI, creativity and predictive analytics. Han, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's good to have you here. Unpack first. Where are you from? I'm from Singapore. Born and bred.
1: Born and bred here. Uh, went for my national service and then I went to uh, Hong Kong to do my undergrad.
0: Right, okay. So you studied in Hong Kong.
1: So I studied in Hong Kong. I was there for about uh, four years. Yeah. What did you study? I did a Bachelor of Fine Arts in Advertising.
0: Right, interesting.
1: So fine I Arts in Advertising. Fine Arts. So I started off in a design background. Yeah. So I did a lot of drawing classes, design classes. So I was sort of trained in that sort of a uh, designer perspective. Right. Right.
0: In advertising?
1: In advertising. So like traditional ad print and... So uh, across all formats, digital, print, uh, posters, everything. So we had to learn uh, everything related even to the basics of design. Hmm. What is a good composition? uh, What kind of colors goes well together? So in fact, design itself has a lot of uh, theories involved.
0: Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah. So would you describe yourself in essence as a designer, a creative...
1: In in essence, I am yeah. a designer. Yeah. Um, in, in fact, right now, I'm doing my uh, research at NTU. It's uh, basically under the art design and media faculty. Mm, mm. Uh, but my research is involving how can we use uh, this artificial intelligence to actually tap into this uh, creative area. Mm. So it's sort of like a hybrid of technology and design for me.
0: Right. So... Obviously, people are going to be scratching their heads when you right. talk about AI and creativity because often yeah. they're seen as two opposites, right? Yeah, yeah. But once you start sort of unpacking it a little bit, mm-hmm. you understand that a lot of creativity is simply pattern recognition and then you're adding this sort of human element on top, right? Which is sort of that, that magic, which maybe can't captured by AI. Or Correct, not? that's right. Okay, so we're going to go there. Let's talk about what market we're in and Luminaire first. Sure. So Luminaire... Is that, did that come out of NTU, that startup? I'm just sort of put it into context because they have their own accelerator there as well, right? Right, right. So I, I think uh, just a
1: quick background on how we got this startup running. Mm. Um, I started my uh, research scholarship at NTU. I was doing research for uh, about uh, a year. And then I went to uh, this SUTD. Mm. So actually, we are NTU and SUTD startup.
0: Right. Can you explain SUTD yeah. for those who might not be based in Singapore?
1: So SUTD is the Singapore University of Technology and Design. Mm-hmm. They focus a lot on uh, you know technology stuff, uh, cybersecurity, uh, emerging technologies. So I actually went there and I did a uh, short course on artificial intelligence. Mm. And in fact, I connected with a few people there who are actually right now
0: my co-founders. Right. So you all met at SUTD. Yes. Why did you take a course on AI when you were a designer? What, I, was, what was the logical or the, even emotional journey? The there?
1: logic was that I was doing research
0: relating to how we can apply AI to creativity. Mm.
1: And I found that uh, at least for myself, I had to have a fundamental understanding of how AI worked. Before then, I could uh, use it in my research to apply yeah. it to design.
0: Great. Yeah. Excellent. So you, your team came out of SUTD. You are just under a year old. We actually only incorporated in August
1: of this year. Okay. So right. we are uh, still an early stage startup. Mm. Right now, uh, we are focusing a lot on uh, especially building up the MVP mm. because to do something relating to uh, AI at an at MVP level takes a substantial amount of uh, involvement and yeah. time.
0: Yeah, yeah, testing for sure. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, let's have a little walk through your pitch deck. Maybe we can put all this into context. Look at the market, the problem, the solution and so on. I'd like to start, I'm going to jump right to the end of the pitch deck, if I may, Sean. Sure. And right at the end here, we have, um, I've overshot a little bit. We've got the team. I'm going to look for your market. Uh, here we go. Uh, there is a oh, slide. This is the uh,
1: edited deck, actually. Okay. So, we're, so uh, e- we, we can talk about the market sizing.
0: Right. Um, trying to find i've got it down here as slide oh. 19 but it's not slide 19 unless this has changed since. okay all right so there was the original deck which had your market size i want yeah. to understand maybe you can talk to us i think it might be before your case studies sure is that what market are you actually in so how do you describe your market what is your market first
1: so right now i think uh, we look at the advertising span right uh, as per the uh, international spend on advertising, we're yeah. looking at a value of about $558 billion, uh, since last year. Right. So, so your
0: market is advertising. My market is advertising yeah. spend. Yeah.
1: Um, that is a global market. In fact, right now, based on my research, uh, 90% of advertising spend is being uh, earned by the technology companies, right. uh, Google and Facebook. So they have sort of, they're like tech companies, but they've angled themselves as a... Uh, advertising company of sorts right. these days. Yeah. And only 10% of the current ad spend goes to the traditional ad agencies. Right. So what there actually we're trying to do is uh, in order to compete with the tech giants, we have to evolve uh, the advertising agency model into more of something like a tech company. Mm-hmm. So uh, my, my market is actually the uh, advertising spend. Mm. So it's a portion of the advertising spend. So it's a portion of that 90% that uh, is being taken by the tech companies
0: right still 60 billion 55 yeah. billion it's big <laughs> enough to play with all right what is the problem and i'm gonna jump back into your pitch deck hopefully it's sure. the same slides that we had because i know you, you you had a slightly edited yeah there's version. different so, version okay um what is the problem with all of this so there's a 550 billion dollar market yes okay why does it need to be changed or what do you want to do with it what is the problem that's out there
1: so going back to actually the premise of it, actually from my research, my topic was actually about uh, the, the advertising content. Mm. So in fact, actually right now, uh, in, if you look at the advertising technology sector, we are putting a lot of uh, emphasis on this uh, advertising placement. So we are actually targeting advertisements mm. uh, to people who are on technology websites, uh, people who are on very particular websites if we are selling a very specific product. But uh, what is being overlooked, I think, a lot is the content of the advertising. Because mm. advertising itself is a uh, combination of uh, various uh, subconscious decisions that as consumers we make.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: We may look at certain colours and it may trigger certain emotions within us. So my argument here is that the content is equally as important as the placement. Mm. So uh, right now what's happening is that in, in the, actually the online space, uh, increasing number of consumers it is increasing year by year they're actually installing ad blockers Mm. onto their computers. So people are actually choosing to block ads from websites because the ads are annoying to them. Mm. It's uh, too much and it becomes sort of like a background noise. So because of that, uh, a lot of consumers and especially the advertisers, they are not able to reach out to these consumers who are blocking their advertisements because these consumers are just not engaged at all.
0: So what, what do you need to do? How do you fix that?
1: So how we fix this is that we then think of the design of the advertisement Mm. and we optimize the content of it.
0: Right, okay. So let's just summarize. The problem is, well, there's a $550 billion market out there. A lot of it is owned by the big tech guys. Right. However, an increasing number of people are blocking their advertising because it's just not relevant or the content's not good. So what you're saying is that if we optimize that content, we can address that.
1: Yes, you can in fact actually get more engaged co- consumers yeah. because right now a lot of time uh, in terms of online advertising, we judge success based on certain metrics mm. like uh, impressions or clicks or at, at the peak, we have a conversions where people actually purchase a product. Yeah. So the idea of optimizing content is then to use the adverti- advertisement as a platform to tell an engaging story mm. that then gets more consumers to actually convert and purchase a product. Right to turn them into like, uh, sort of like a like a fan of a brand. Mm. And that's something that a company like Apple, for example, has done very well because they tell such a, a unique story to their customer that they feel that they are part of this ecosystem or movement. Mm. Mm. So that's the important part. And uh, fundamentally, I think uh, the design itself, even though it's very minute factors, it could be things like color combinations mm. or the types of fonts being used. Even small details like this can affect subconsciously a consumer's uh Look or outlook towards a particular brand.
0: Right. So, in the current status of the market with digital advertising, most advertisers, most merchants are advertising like they would direct mail. It's just putting messages up there, it's transactional. Yet, what you're saying is there's something missing here, which is bringing across that sort of creative advertising mindset from the old world before it went digital. You talked about brand building, storytelling, yes. engaging, and so on. Yes, most people haven't really. I guess what I'm trying to get to is your hypothesis about how you're right. doing different. Is that you're saying that that sort of small amount of real estate on the mobile phone or on yeah. the, the website can be used to build brands and creatives in the same way that creative agencies like the Ogilvies and the Leo Burnetts always have done for years and years, yes. right?
1: Because if we look at advertising agencies, their main business is storytelling. Yeah, they are trying to convey a brand story or a history or legacy. Mm. But if we look at ads in the past, uh, if we look at the Mad Men era, uh, advertising then you usually, if we look at the formats, is on print. Firstly, it's uh, not we are not able to target. So of course they had to spend a lot of uh, effort in telling a good story. Mm. And if in fact if we look at early advertising, we can see that early advertising is very copy driven. So we can see like a yeah. full page uh, copy text that right now the modern consumer would not even look at a text that is more than two mm, sentences mm, long. Mm. So now advertising is about uh, catching people's attention to the visuals because we have become so visual you know, with, uh, with the television, with the internet. Uh, we've be- become so... Uh, so uh, everything is around us that is moving, uh, it's trying to catch our attention. Mm. And how do we then get a consumer to actually look at a piece of advertisement and derive some sort of story from it
0: mm. rather than just a filler noise? Mm. Why, why do I need story, though? Because I could argue, rightly or wrongly, yeah. put me in my place. I could argue that if I can show you an ad, right, it's just a few lines, yeah. a Google ad, and that yeah. clicks through to a landing page yes. and you convert. I get you onto a list. I then hit you on the list with an offer and you buy something. Right, Where's the story? Why do I need a story in that? It's just pure transaction. I'm just pushing you through a funnel to this end result.
1: Yeah, I think also you have to consider that uh, if you're trying to sell a particular product, there's probably another 10 or 100 companies trying to sell that same product. Oh, without a doubt, yeah. So how then, as a brand, would you stand out in terms of not just the placement, but the design of it? Yeah. Because the design of it can actually tell a story that makes your brand stand apart from the rest. Mm. So I'm my argument here is that the small details, the colours, the design theories, mm. the way words are joined together, the copywriting, everything comes together in, in a complete package. right. And in fact, if we look at two, uh, two advertisements, one may perform better, even though they spend less on that advertisement, because the content of it is very attractive. Hmm. Right, right now, we have a very international and global market. So there are people from different backgrounds, cultures, uh, environments, who grew up in a different way. They may engage with stories in a different manner. So that's where big big data helps us, right? Because big data can give us information Mm. about where someone grew up, what's their location, and then how can we tell a story that's relevant to them. Mm. For example, if uh, we look at uh, certain countries, they may prefer the color green or the color red. So if we can actually uh, generate advertisements that are, let's say, 70% predominantly green Mm. in those markets, for example, Indonesia, then we can actually uh, relate to them on a cultural level. Because they use the green colour so much in their own uh, cultural festivities and all. Mm, mm. So then we use small design decisions like this to actually uh, use it in the generation and creation of advertisements. Mm. And that will actually increase the chance that they would actually look at it or they would click on it or they would actually purchase something from it.
0: Yeah, interesting. There's a lot of variables going on, isn't there, when you're it's, doing advertising? Right.
1: It, a lot of it is actually very subconscious as well. Yeah. So we, we may look at something, we... This idea of taste, mm. aesthetic preference. When we go to an art museum, we go to the Louvre. We look at the Mona Lisa. Mm. We may like it, we may not like it. But the fact is that what causes us to like or not, it it is a multi multiple factors. Uh, cultural upbringing, uh, it's just personal taste. And mm. taste itself is something that cannot be quantified.
0: Yeah, and it's shaped by story. Yeah, exactly. So I've-
1: storytelling. I mean, it's is the basis of. Uh, how humans have communicated for...
0: We're the storytelling ape, right? Exactly. Like they say. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, yes, I'm a believer in storytelling. (laughs) Absolutely. It's great to hear this. And that brings us to the interesting conversation about Mm. storytelling and AI. Yeah. Let's hold that. We'll get to that in a minute. Let's jump in and have a look at the pitch deck as well. Um, Conscious of the fact that it might not be the right slide, but I want to get to the solution slide, which in Mm. the old pitch deck was slide eight. So maybe we can just sort of... Now it's moved around a little bit, but what what is the solution? So maybe we can, um, well, there's a few case studies in here. I'll jump back to where we started. You can tell us what the solution is. So we've set out the story context, yep. which is, here's the market. Here's what everybody else is doing. Here's your argument, which is, this is how you can do it differently. Right. You have mentioned all the factors involved in that. What is, is your solution?
1: So right now we're actually uh, building a software as a service. Mm. So it's an enterprise software. And this enterprise software is uh, able to be used by, uh, you know, SMEs Mm. or startups, people who require uh, churning out of advertisements for their products. So I would say uh, B2C customers who are trying to sell products and they actually uh, may not have the capacity or the uh, financials to hire a full-scale advertising agency. Mm. So then how can we reduce the cost on an entire advertising agency process? In fact, an advertising agency uh, does a whole scale of work end-to-end. They begin by doing market research to understand the consumer problems, how the consumer would most likely be reached, and then they move and translate that into this thing called a creative brief, which is then fed into the creative teams. So there's a creative director, Mm. art director, and a copywriter who then actually looks at the brief and says, what is the best design solution to, to solve this problem to get the consumer to buy a product? So then it's an entire end-to-end process that every advertising campaign takes uh, a a lot of people, maybe up to 10 people from the account executives to the media planners, to the designers and art directors. So then how can we condense that into a software service powered by AI Mm. that can then generate the market insights and transfer it into a a design of advertisement?
0: Mm. Can can that process create a big idea? I mean, there's that big... I mean, the big idea in advertising right. is a, right. a thing, right? I mean, you go right. back to the Leo Burnett days. And yes, yes. You know, there's creating this big idea. What is the big idea about this brand, whether it's, right. you know, Tony the Tiger or Diamonds Are Forever? Yeah, These yeah. sort of like classic ad campaigns, right? Yeah. And I suppose if you if you speak to any the the madmen yeah, or the yeah. people who sort of, you know, think of that world is that they'll yeah. always pull out their favorite campaign. Mm. And these are the ones that they often sort of talk about, right? Right, right. Can it do that? Do we need it? I suppose that's the question we've got to ask. Well, can it be sort of more of the AI driven, subtle design, you know, variables which you can change? So the idea is that I think the argument here
1: is that advertising agencies are still useful to us in the modern day because of the big idea. So things like uh, the example you said, the Diamonds Are Forever, that's mm. a DBS advertisement mm. where actually they transform the entire jewelry industry. They created value on something that back then was not that valuable.
0: Yeah, people didn't have diamonds back then. They yeah, had emeralds and, and, and now rubies. it became yeah. like sort of a culture
1: yeah. where you have to propose and uh, with an engagement ring. Yeah, yeah, three so months think, salary and all that stuff. Yeah, that that shows how powerful advertising mm. can be. Uh, just look at Nike with their tagline "Just Do It." It's just mm. three very simple words, but it creates an entire campaign about overcoming the odds, about be- becoming a, a hero of your own story. Yeah, I think there's a lot behind those simple words or design decisions that then, you know, it can influence the entire generation. So I'm I'm, I'm saying right now that the artificial intelligence itself, it's still not able to create this big idea. But what it can be utilized for right now is uh, we're looking at areas like high-churn advertisements. So advertisements, if I'm an e-commerce store, I'm constantly having promotions, Christmas promotions, New Year's promotion. How then do I optimize the design Mm. to attract the customers that I want to talk to? Got it. So I'm, I'm looking at a, at a dynamic system. So a vision of the future where the advertisement actually is uh, evolving. Everywhere you go, the advertisement evolves. Mm. So if I'm showing a, a piece of advertisement in, in for Chinese New Year, for example, I would look at the demographic, I would look at the cultural uh, background of the festival, and then the advertisement will relate to that. It relates in terms of the colours used, relates in terms of the fonts used, it relates in terms of the size. Mm the size of the image uh, with the fonts, what is the combination of colors. So there are multiple uh, types of design decisions that actually go
0: into something as simple as a promotional app. Mm. How much can you personalize that as well? Is that possible? I mean, you, you're making it dynamic. Yeah. Can, For example, if we know that hand, you're more likely to click just for example an ad that features an Asian face. Right. Or you might more like to click one that has like some with blonde hair and blue eyes. Yes, right? yes.
1: So, so that's like the, a taste
0: preference, right? Right. It, can I? Can you personalise that for advertising? Because that yes. must be the holy grail, right? Yes.
1: So that's exactly what we're trying to do. Right. So basically what happens is we see a world in which all the advertisements you see is something that actually you like in terms of taste. Yeah. So like the example you mentioned, if you're somebody that is more attracted to Asian faces, for example then the, the advertisements for the same product you see would feature, for example, someone uh, drinking a bottle of soda mm. who is who is a uh, Asian face. Right. So at, at, in, in real time, someone who prefers blonde hair, blue eyes, they would see the same advertisement but with a person with blonde hair, blue eyes. Yeah. And AI,
0: and the is, AI does the heavy lifting, right? Because it can yes. do all that matching. Yes. Right. In,
1: in fact, now uh, the the latest uh, AI technology is this thing called uh, GAN. We call it a general adversarial network. Hmm. And this is actually the most uh, one of the most important users of it is in computer vision. Yeah. So in fact, uh, they have ex- done some uh, e- examples of actually uh, feeding a 100 celebrity photographs into the AI system. And using this GAN analysis, it can then create entirely new faces of people that don't exist. Yeah. So then what is the potential when we apply
0: this into the the uh, creative fields? Well, wow, that certainly deals with any kind of like you know, release rights on faces. Could you just manufacture a face and say, We it could you know?
1: manufacture a completely right. anonymous face that, yeah. that could not could potentially not belong to anybody. Yeah, that's fascinating, isn't yeah. it? Because
0: then the issue with using faces in advertisement is yeah. that even if you buy it from stock photo yeah. websites is that you don't know if you've got release rights on it. Right. You don't know if that person sometimes people have used faces and they're like already celebrities that they don't know. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you go into another market, oh that's this local singer. They don't know right. that. Or they've picked up somebody's face and then, you know, you get those families on holiday, they see their face on an ad, and then right. that reflects badly on, on the brand because they sue them, right? Yes, exactly. So you're saying you can actually create that?
1: Yeah, so in, in fact, face face generation is one of the uh, current uh, testing and investigation being used yeah. on this uh, GAN algorithm. And there is a lot of potential here because we are just looking at faces. But uh, this GAN could potentially simulate even uh, photographs of environments, yeah, photographs of how a place looks like. Uh, a, a, a image of an entire uh, uh, mountainside could all be generated just from feeding an AI algorithm thousands of images and mm. it can create something entirely new out of it.
0: Yeah. To do this, you must have a massive data set. You can't just work with like one advertiser, can you? Because of they, course, yeah. you, you've got to have that broad spectrum to yes. pull from in different markets, different cultures, different demographics and so exactly. on. Exactly. So how is that going to work? How are you going to tie all this up. You're going to collect all that data and make it cross-transferable. So, you know, if I'm an advertiser, right. I'm not just working with the data from my customers. I'm right. right? be able to pull in all this exactly. from all over the world.
1: So uh, part of what we are doing is that we are trying to build an ecosystem. So an ecosystem of uh, this magnitude that involves different cultures and mm. countries. We require all this uh, cooperation, for example, with uh, the many other clients. So we start off by having a very baseline sort of data set data set that we, we can acquire, hmm. um, sort of like consumer behavior, marketing data, etc. And then as we run, uh, this is where the AI deep learning comes in. As we run campaigns for brands or advertisers or companies, we use the AI deep learning system to actually collect the information on how well each advertisement would perform hmm. based on our hypothesis. And this hypothesis gets more and more accurate over time. Right. So I think that's the the really real beauty of the deep learning in AI is that we can then learn from millions of data points and data sets. And this is something that uh, if
0: you ask a human to do, they wouldn't have the kind of accuracy or the speed. No, there's too much bias in yeah. it as well. We've yeah. seen this in medicine, for example, exactly. with diagnosis. Okay, well, well, let's have a look at one of your case studies sure. as well, see what the actual results of this are. I want to ask, before we get there, is mm. that... Um, and my mind's sort of like weaving in the conversation is yeah. that, for example, in advertising, especially online, uses a lot of stock photo- photography. Right. Can you, and you're talking about scenes and faces that you can manufacture effectively. Yes. Now, I'm sort of thinking forward to the future. That, that could mean the end of stock photography, where you're actually just generating this stuff. rather right? Yeah. And so,
1: so basically, we are also like a sort of like a stock photography kind of model, right. whereby advertisers can actually just generate advertising on our platform yeah. and they can just purchase it as a stock photo.
0: Right. To use it. But it doesn't contain a real actor.
1: Yeah. So, so if I say, o- over I want, time,
0: I want three Asians yeah. drinking soda and they've got to be this age, this demographic.
1: Exactly. So then it can generate. But one of the factors here to consider is that the whole premise of advertising is to sell the product of a brand. Yeah. So even if uh, I'm a marketing, marketing director of a particular brand, I may want certain specifications like what you mentioned, mm. three Asian people. But if the data shows that three Asian people would not be effective in this market, then the AI would recommend right. otherwise. You got it. So in fact, what it generates actually, it's uh, optimized for the best result in the particular demographic or market that you're selling to.
0: Right. So if you say our uh, Kodak yeah. and your big idea was share the moment, mm. you could go in with that big idea. I want images of moments. Yeah. And you could somehow feed that into the machine. Yeah, and so that would then say, here are moments in different cultures. So the idea of
1: moments could be, for example, an image of a, a couple sitting by the edge of a mountain overlooking a yep. vista. Yep. That could be the idea of moments. So that could then be generated by the AI, mm. together with the uh, relevant tagline or copywriting, using natural language processing. And mm. also things like you know placement of the logo, what's the size of the text should be. And it's, and it's all generated.
0: Yeah, okay. What does Luminaire mean?
1: So Luminaire, our tagline actually is the future illuminated. Right. So sort of, uh, I, I've always liked sci-fi. Yeah. And uh, I, I guess Luminaire, it's sort of, sort of like a light uh, of, of the future.
0: Yeah, I'm just wondering. Okay, th- yeah. Let's go into the case study because right. what, what you're talking about, there are very interesting long-term applications. Of right. this. And maybe looking at the case study, we'll sort of dig a little bit into that. Sure, sure, but sure. But I think, you know, Understanding AI, we understand what it can do. But that whole sort of creative area, is it's been one of those conversations people say it doesn't belong there. But right. what we're saying is actually there's a huge role for it. If, if, but at the same time, it doesn't replace human beings. It replaces some human beings who are just doing the box filling, the pattern matching. But for those who are doing this sort of top level big idea stuff, right. they become even more valuable, right?
1: Exactly. I, I feel that AI actually takes a lot of this kind of uh, very menial and yeah. unfulfilling work out of the hands of human beings. Right. So in a way, I see it as a positive thing, you know.
0: Yeah. There was a guy who had to, you know, in the old days, phone round all the stock old-school stock photography companies and say, oh, you got a photo of three Asians. <laughs> that's that's what it would have been in the old exactly. days. And that, that was taken online, but still somebody doing it, right?
1: Yeah, and, and now you don't even need to take a photo of it anymore.
0: <laughs> there you go. You don't even need three Asians. We'll <laughs> exactly. make them for you. All right, okay. Let's have a look at the case study. So we can jump in. You've got a, a couple of cases. Sure. So tell us a little bit. Diapex. So Diapex, actually, it's, uh, this is actually one of our first test uh, yeah.
1: users uh, to generate some sort of uh, advertisement format uh, using
0: this... Uh, a uh, brand called Dipex. Right. So... A uh, little, little bit of context. So for sure. Some people can't see this case study. So Dipex, nappies, diapers. Na- so they, nappies, it's obvious from the... Diapers. ...the screen, but for yeah. those listening, right? Sure.
1: Okay. So uh, Dipex is actually a baby diaper brand. Yeah. It's quite popular. It's under this uh, company called NTPM Berhad. Mm-hmm. It's a Malaysian company. And they distribute a lot, you know, to supermarkets like uh, NTUC Fairprice, Cold Storage, etc. Mm-hmm. So um, we, we did this test experiment by first uh, looking at uh, input. Because when we want to generate something from an AI system, we always need an input. Yeah. How do we categorize it? So if we look at very simple things like uh, age group, gender, what's their location, mm. and also things like product category. For example, if I'm selling a diaper, uh, I may want to use certain design decisions. If I'm selling an energy drink, I may want certain design decisions. And of course, we also look at some of the uh, current branding collaterals that they use. Because uh, the hard part of advertising is how do we reach out to the right consumer audience, attract their attention, and also retain the brand image mm. that they have been using for a long time. So uh, in in this study, we uh, had two examples. For example, a female Singaporean or male Singaporean who is actually buying the diapers. Mm. So how then would the uh, AI generate the advertisements to appeal to them? Yeah. So
0: maybe we go to the next slide.
1: So yeah, here are some. these are some very rough generations of what the AI is generating. We can see that actually it affects things like uh, colors. Mm. It affects things like the type of imagery used and it affects things like the tagline. So for example, for the father, the tagline would say a, a baby's best fit, a daddy's best fix. So the beauty of where uh, AI can go with this is that uh, these are just two of the examples. In fact, when we generate uh, a single batch, we can generate up to a hundred of these sort of variations yeah. in a matter of seconds.
0: How do, okay, so these are just generated as yeah. hypotheses. It, right. Right? How do you, how does it actually know that that was the right thing to generate? Because you've got to feed that back Exactly. In, right?
1: So that's where the deep learning comes in. Mm. So what happens is, let's say, when we put these ads out uh, into the uh, online mar- market, so then we track the uh, engagement of it. So when we look at engagement, we look at things like uh, impressions, we look at things like clicks, mm. we look at things like purchase or conversions, and we give a certain point system to these engagement levels accordingly. So every cycle that we put out a piece of advertisements, the deep learning then feeds back what is the success ratio of these advertisements. And then it identifies why it did not perform that well. It could be a certain color combination. Mm. It could be the choice of words used. So in the next iteration, when they put out another ad, the AI then optimizes it again. Mm. So the next cycle becomes more and more accurate towards what the consumer wants. Right.
0: This is like in the old school AI of genetic algorithms. Right, it? It's like right. coming up with like different versions. The children of the mother... You know, advert, if you like, and then giving different variations and then culling the non-performing ones, right? right?
1: So actually, we can go to the next slide. Uh, There's some other samples. So we can look at whole things like broad categories. So uh, we have an idea of the banking vertical. Mm. So a banking vertical may have certain design rule sets, like uh, more luxurious kind of fonts. Are we targeting a high net worth client? Are we targeting a common market?
0: These factors uh, affect the design decisions that the AI makes. So are those program top down into the 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 algorithm do you have to because you have a background in design right. as well you in your head you have those top down decisions yes. like design should be like this yes and at the same time this is sort of coming bottom up learning like the local maximums if you like of yeah. the search so, so do you give it an architecture to start right.
1: with so i think that's a very good question uh for any ai system to start we have to do some uh labeling ourselves mm. so we need to start it off with a certain uh kind of rule set so it's just like, uh, imagine like a, a primary school student learning the basics of maths or science in class. So in a way, uh, the AI system at the start is uh, almost without any knowledge. Yeah. So then we teach it some basic rule sets. It could be design principles. Uh, it could be uh, data from past engagements. And then the AI slowly learns from that. So I would say a good example is uh, AI may start with fifty percent predictive accuracy, mm, mm. and over a period of time, maybe between a year and a year and a half, it can increase up to seventy percent predictive accuracy, mm. and it gets more and more accurate over time, up to a maximum of ninety nine percent. So I I think it's a it's a it's an
0: evolution. Mm. Absolutely, that's how evolution works. Yeah, right? e- even like with, you know, children when they're born they only have a certain amount hardwired and the rest they have to learn. right? Right, You have to have that sort of flexibility, correct? plasticity, I think it's called in in, in the AI world, that it has to be in there so that they can learn that. But it has to have a hardwired set as well. Otherwise, it's just going to be completely random. And you don't have like a thousand years to kind of like go through all the the data. Of course, of course. To eventually get, you know, some kind of like meaningful results, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Well, what are you discovering, uh, you know, in... Doing this, yep. you have your sort of top-down. You are a designer. You have learned the basics and, you know, you've studied design for generations of, like, previous advertising. Um What have you learned in doing this process? Have you learned new things about design and advertising and creatives that have sort of challenged your own assumptions?
1: Yeah, I think one of the most interesting uh, things that I discovered is that actually sometimes uh,
0: good design. Does
1: not translate to good market response.
2: Mm, so I, I
1: I think this goes back to the idea that uh, sometimes from a designer perspective, we look at uh, things from a, let's say a concept art right. or high art. Yeah, yeah. If I look at a painting by uh, or a sculpture by Jeff Koons, for example, mm. um, I I may not like it, I may like it, but it's considered high art, right? So oftentimes uh, this concept of high art is usually pushed upon the masses. And same for advertising. Hmm. There are often times where there are fantastic advertising campaigns, very artfully done, uh, really, really well written, but it just goes over the
0: head of so many consumers. Yeah, it's advertising for advertisers. Yes. Right? Okay.
1: And in fact the advertising industry, uh, there's a lot of emphasis put on awards, you know? Oh, things yeah. like Coba Awards, the Can Ken Lions. Ken Lion, yeah, exactly. So then what is the difference between advertisement and high art? Hmm. Advertisement is a form of art, yes, but I feel that the primary purpose of it is to derive Uh, sales for products. Mm, mm. Because in a way, advertising is a directed, uh, goal-driven form of art. It it can't be compared to sculptures or paintings. So then I think uh, one of the interesting things is actually the uh, AI system, it generates uh, without this uh, preference for creating high concepts. But rather, it looks at hard data Results. And then it creates things that people would actually understand and like. Yeah, I think that's the fundamental difference.
0: Does it then come out with sort of designs which you like? Wow, is that really going to work? But it's telling yeah, in, you that based in, on my data, this is going to work.
1: Right. In in fact, what's happening is that a lot of times in advertising, we have this uh, this uh, thing called the 180. So what happens in the 180? It, it, it's a it's a method of uh, doing uh, conception. Yeah. Conceptualizing. So what happens is you take a well established idea, something that the market would preferably like most Mm. likely like and then you flip it on its head so you do something completely different completely outrageous Mm. that then gets the result you want because it's so different from what the market is showing Mm. so then the uh, AI can also do that so we can generate a series of advertisements that fulfills the market needs and we can create 20% of those advertisements that goes completely against norms that could be completely mind-blowing that you wouldn't expect something like that to appear
0: does the AI know to do that, or do you have to tell it to do the 180? Does it? So say we tell
1: it to do the 180. Right. So we 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 can put sort of like a weightage. Do we want more of a 180 kind, or do we want more of a yeah. What the data tells us.
0: Would you expect in the future that the AI AI could make that decision? Now it's time for a 180.
1: Eventually, yes. When it gets enough uh, yeah. data in its brain and enough experience over time, it it can make decisions by right. itself.
0: So you're uh, effectively what you're doing in the creative is, is you are doing what has been done by humans a lot of the pattern recognition a lot of the research the data crunching and so on will that then move up that chain of value you know what role does the creative director have in this or will there ever come a time in the life of luminaire even that way you're doing the creative director's role
1: um i think for the short future no because the AI is not to that level of sophistication where it can make decisions on big ideas. Because at the end of the day, the AI still relies on the data set. Mm. It relies on what the market is telling it. So it goes uh, with design decisions that are based on market. But as I as I mentioned, advertising is a mix of high art and reaching out to the consumers. So then uh, I, I think we were going to see a lot more of uh, advertising for its main purpose, which is to sell products. Yeah. Rather than advertising for winning awards, yeah, I yeah. think that's that's going to be a slow switch over there, because in fact a lot of uh, brands are not very satisfied because they are not getting a lot of uh, feedback in terms of how well their ad are performing. Mm. So usually, if if uh, we put up some ads online, um, I- if we go through an intermediary like an agency, usually the reporting of uh, the the figures how well the ad is performing is not really a factor. It's more about delivering the advertisement. Mm. Hey, the marketing director likes it. It looks yep. nice. They, they think it works. Yeah. They just put it out. If it doesn't work so well next time, what, what mm. can we do better? Yeah. But then that, that's just a sort of like abstract thought. Mm. But going through a deep learning cycle, we look from the facts, the data, what works, what doesn't work, and it iterates accordingly. Yeah. And the changes might be very minute. Yeah. It could just be a font type change. It could just be a font size change. But it will make a difference.
0: Absolutely. Can a, in future, can a, a large advertising network plug your app, your software into it, your technology into it?
1: Yes. In fact, that's what we are looking at. Uh,
0: being acquired by Google, for example. Well. Like <laughs> that would be, you know, for them. Right. Like, you know, that would help optimize the front end. Of, of course, yes. The ad planning, right? Right. Okay. So I, I guess one thing people may be thinking is mm. surely Google are doing this already. They're so, smart, right? Right.
1: So in fact, right now Google actually has its own like a uh, generate generation of ads for people who want to put up online uh, advertisements. Mm. They can actually use some very simple generation. But the generation is not about design consideration. It's a very simple where you choose a certain image, uh, type in your own uh, text, and then it creates a template for you, mm. which is then put online. So I'm going a step further. I'm saying that the content actually really matters, down to the minute details, the kind of words we use, the taglines we are we are outputting. The, the kind of uh, design decisions hmm. uh, that are made in the design of an advertisement is very very important.
0: Okay, good. Shall we talk about your journey as a company in terms of where you are and what happens next? Sure. Um, obviously, everything is subject to change on this pitch, right? <laughs> but if, if I was to just sort of, f- if I was to just scroll towards the end, you right. have the the rays and the. St- situation of where you are with Luminaire, if we sort of go down to um, the last few, oh, we've changed. I mean, okay, so let let me ask you, okay, we've got the investor partners in here as well. Yeah. Um, Well, I'll ask you now, now that you're sitting here, where are you in your um, development cycle? Um, Where are you in your fundraising and what happens next? Sure. So right now
1: we are still at a pre-seed stage. We have got uh, funding from uh, ESG as well as uh, co-funding by Space Ventures. Mm Mm-hmm. So right now, we are actually in the phase of uh, finalizing our MVP. So in, in terms of the MVP, uh, we, we are putting all our efforts in making sure that it's accurate, that it can generate the kind of advertising to the quality that I expect as a designer. Mm-hmm. And uh, right now, we are, we are actually uh, delivering the MVP first before we move into a seed stage round. Right. Okay. Timeline-wise... Timeline-wise, mm-hmm. we're looking at maybe somewhere uh, April or May next year.
0: What, we'll complete the MVP? Uh,
1: actually, we would launch... Uh, the MVP is already used by some of our customers okay. already, yeah. but we are still trying to uh, perfect it. Yeah. So we are getting and doing some iterations along the way because there's a lot of testing involved. Right. So uh, that's the entire process. I expect that to be uh, you know, to the level of satisfaction by May. Mm. And then we are looking at a seed round at, at a point in time.
2: Okay,
0: so seed rounds, second quarter next second year. quarter next year yes yeah i mean do you have your um numbers ready yet is it too early uh, it's a
1: bit too early because we have not finalized the numbers it mm. actually depends a lot on uh the mvp progress in the next two to three months mm. um but i think q2 for next year sounds uh, about right for a seed stage fundraising round yeah so but right now because all our resources are just spent on the uh, development of the mvp
0: yeah and what would be the um main goal of your fundraise In Q2, what would that be to fund? Would that be to build an outreach?
1: Yeah, so uh, right now, the plan for 2019 at least is actually to have a good outreach and a good customer base in Mm. Singapore. So I think a large uh, amount of that fundraising would be spent in in hiring employees, Mm. uh, specifically in the sales department, for example, to outreach and also engineering talent to actually help us uh, iterate the product along the way. Mm -hmm. So uh, other than that, in 2020, we actually plan to scale regionally. Yeah. So then, that will be a good time for the you know next fundraise after the seed stage.
0: Yeah, sure. So your team currently you yes you met at university yes. Um, there was a slide originally in the pitch deck. I don't know if you have got that's still in the okay. We do. If we go up a couple, one more. Yeah, founding team. We just spend a, a couple of minutes talking about that because it's also important. Sure. Because it gives us an understanding of who comes next, what right. kind of people you're looking for. Right. So you've established that you met in the um at university. Right. Your role in all of this, obviously, you're a founder. Yeah. What do you do day-to-day in the So uh,
1: I take on the role of the CEO, which is uh, going for business development. Mm. So basically, right now, I'm handling all the sales, uh, de- development of business, financials, everything like that, um, trying to get uh, our name there on the startup ecosystem. Actually, uh, my co-founders, they're all on the technical side. Yeah. So I'm actually quite fortunate that I have uh, three very strong technical co-founders because I think... Uh, The basis of starting any AI-related business is you need a very technically strong person. Uh, You need people who can uh, execute on the vision. Mm. I think that's very, very important. So, in fact, uh, I have very good technical co-founders, which I'm very satisfied with. So, my job primarily is uh, to sell the vision. Because then this is is tied directly to Mm. my research that I'm doing now as well. Mm. So, what I'm doing is I'm testing the uh, hypothesis of my research in the real world. Mm and doing it in the form of startup.
2: Yeah,
0: does that have any sort of issues with the fact that, you know, when you leave university, people may then decide that they're going to go, sometimes, you know, university teams split and go their own way. I mean, what what sort of your thoughts with succession Uh, there?
1: So I I think the most important thing is that for any entrepreneur, at least at the beginning stage, is to get the people believing in the idea of your vision. And I believe that I managed to get all these technically competent people on board Mm -hmm. because uh, the vision is sound. Uh, and I'm passionate about this. So uh, I don't see any issues after leaving university because I think we see ourselves more as a uh, team luminaire than, you know, just people who are connected based yeah.
0: on... Yeah, because some people do start-ups at university because it's part of their course. Right, right. So, right. Okay. so, so
1: this is completely not part of any course. It's, right. it's self-initiated. Yeah.
0: Sometimes listeners and viewers yeah. don't know that, <laughs> so they need to understand, right? Especially if they're investors because it's a risk right, to them, right, isn't right. it? Right. Moving forward, the kind of people you want in your team, do you have specific hard skills that you're looking for? Is there a mindset that you want? So,
1: of course, for uh, the technical development or product development side, we are looking for people with uh, good skills in terms of coding. Specifically for AI coding, we use a lot of Python and R. Mm. Um, for the sales and business development side, of course, uh, ideally people who are actually passionate about seeing this vision and excitement of how you know creativity is being uh, disrupted by AI. Mm-hmm. And uh, just people who actually love this industry.
0: Yeah, what industry? You mean in terms of the, AI? The creative, or creative? industry right. and okay. AI industry. So, so, I mean, that's important because people right. want to know, oh, look, you know, I don't know anything about AI, but I've spent 10 years in creatives. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. Those are the kind of Be- people... You're yeah,
1: like. yeah. Because like I said, uh, at the very start, the AI still needs a period of time to learn what is good aesthetics. Yeah. So the more people that could join us that has very good creative background, mm. the more the AI can learn from actually some of the... Uh, viewpoints yeah, because the AI is just like a person Mm. it learns from its experiences and the people it surrounds itself with
0: okay and the culture of Luminaire I mean obviously the four co-founders are key in setting that culture you're at university so um, you're doing your studies as well I guess I'm doing my research yeah yeah, so um, what would it be like for somebody coming into that it's going to be slightly different to a startup in a co-working space of course yeah So what do they need to know and what do they need to know also about what your working culture is like?
1: I think in terms of working culture, we are quite open to suggestions or feedback. Um, We are actually also very research driven. So in fact, if you look at uh, some of my other members, they are all uh, PhDs in Mm. computer engineering. So I think fundamentally, we approach a lot of the uh, problems in AI space uh, based a lot on research. So if you're somebody that, you know, likes to look into the details likes to uh, get into research journals and all that very geeky stuff. Mm. I think uh, we we cater to that a lot. Mm. And also uh, for myself, I've always enjoyed, you know, uh, startup ecosystems and cultures and all that. So I think it's a good mix between uh, hard research and, you know, running a startup. Mm. So it's the excitement of uh, running a startup day to day and also the the backing of uh, knowing that what you're doing is making a difference mm. because this is all based on research.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's been fascinating hearing about your, um, you know, your, your, your journey, Han, and what you're trying to do as well, because there is a lot of talk of AI these days, Right. Um, less so in the space that you're in. Right. Because like we've established it's not necessarily what people put together they use ai for you know like crunching data in large organizations which effectively is what you're doing but you're applying it to the creative space as well and there is a real problem out there and you know that is a problem which maybe you know we've talked about for example advertising agents and creative agencies you know they're not going away anywhere i mean they're, they're evolving right and they're you know you look at like the WPPs and so on that they're, they're constantly like acquiring technologies and you know people who can fit into their portfolios and it would be interesting to see who really picks up on what you're doing the fastest whether it is like those large ad networks like the the Googles for example or the large advertising conglomerates like the WPPs because right. they both kind of need it but who recognizes that need first. yeah. So that's going to be an interesting story moving forward, right? So.
1: Right. In, in fact, a lot of the ad agencies now they are shifting a lot of their assets into digital as well. Mm. They're slowly transforming themselves sort of from an agency model into a tech model. Yeah. Because what works in the modern day is running your business, no matter what industry, like like a, like a tech company.
0: Yeah, exactly. Well, that's going to be a fascinating story moving forward. So, Hannah, hopefully um, we can get an update on your progress as well at some point in 2019. Right. So you obviously... The MVP, the raise, what happens next? Because once you have that raise in as well, now you need to start seriously thinking about outreach and getting out there and yeah. knocking on the doors and selling this to all those ad agencies and brands out there right. who could, you know, make use of your your platform. Hanfei, everybody, founder of Luminaire. Wishing you all the best with your ongoing journey and all the best with your studies as well. Let's not forget. Thank you so much. It's a big part of what you're doing as well. What would be the best way for people to reach out to you? Those that may be potential investors, potential partners, even potential team members.
1: Oh, sure. Just go to our website, uh, www.luminaire-ai.com. So whether you're an investor, just uh, someone interested in the product or looking for a career, You can just uh, drop us an email on the the, the pages on the site.
0: Exactly. And tell them that you watched this interview as well, because it says a lot. I mean, somebody's paid attention to your story and learned about your why. It really gives you a good indication that they're fully in with the vision of what you're
2: doing. Right, right. right.
0: Hanfei, everybody. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.
2: You've been listening to Asia Tech Podcast. Find out more at ATP.show.